Welcome to the Whistle Mission Outdoors Podcast. There you go. Now you got it. <laughs> Episode, what, 18? 18. Wow. We made it. We made it. So to 18. Well, yeah. <laughs> we only missed one week, and that's when we were fishing. Um, so anyway, did you want to talk about the weekend? It was kind of a kind of a busy weekend. Yeah. I mean, you, you spent, I don't know, you probably spent a good day more out there than everybody else did yeah you spent an entire me, day out there me and Kyle were having breakfast after this one this morning it's which i i want to get into what happened to me this morning but i spent 26 hours at that state park this weekend wow yeah yeah spent, so this morning what happened to me is i went out i was out there 10 hours on friday i was out 12 hours yesterday and about four today about two hours into today i got cold and i got like i was literally sitting like kneeling in my ground blind, falling asleep, okay? And I was cold. My hands were cold. I just that deep, dark cold. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, like yesterday. Ed, yesterday, I was in a tree stand. I was in a tree stand today, too, but it just reached this point where you just shiver. And you're just like, oh, you think I see one, you know? The thing, I, the thing I realized, though, is yesterday, I am usually eat between 2,000 and 2,500 calories a day. And yesterday, I had way less than 1,000. Like, way less than 1,000. Yeah, you got to so, put some coal in the burner, you know. So today, I had like no no calories to burn off, really. That that kept me warm from everything the day before. So I was I was overtired, I was extremely hungry, and I just froze up. I never my, it took my the whole ride home to get my hands and feet back, and I was just that deep dark cold, really tired, you know. I for some reason this is some weird tradition that me and you used to eat fast breaks when we worked together, and. Yeah. Now I'm like, whenever you go hunting, I'm like, gotta have a fast break. Well, I I bought another one today, and I bought one for you. Ended up eating that one as well. Well, yesterday you were supposed to make us lunch. Yeah, but I forgot my jet boil. So so I was actually sitting in the ground blind from five o'clock and about nine o'clock. I'm like, Pat's gonna be here ten thirty. We're gonna eat some food. We're gonna come back out. And then I show up, and he's like, oh, I forgot my th- what was it the jet boil. <laughs> but on my way there, you're like, nah, dude, I'll just uh, I'll just have a granola bar or whatever you said. I forget. And then you're like, no, 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 I'm cooking, I'm cooking. I'm like, all right. So I was kind of counting on that, and then, you know, didn't come through or nothing. My bad. That's my bad. I did have half a hamburger bun, though, so I could have told you how good that tasted. But anyway, I don't know. I've, I felt like it was a good weekend. I saw some good stuff. I didn't see any deer, so I didn't see I didn't see any. Oh, you know what? I did see a deer, and it was when two guys were dragging up an eight-pointer. That know? was cool. That was cool. They Yeah, these two guys huffing and puffing, and we're like, what is, oh, wait. Yeah, they were dragging up like a two hundred pound deer. It was eight points. It was a big eight pointer too. It was a, yeah. It was a nice deer. It was a really nice deer. Like I really wish I, you know, this morning I set up in the wrong spot. I set up on a, the edge of a prairie, look looking into the woods, expecting them to run out. You know, and that wind was ripping today. It was ripping today. Yeah, I was talking to one guy. He said they're expecting forty mile an hour winds, but you know, by the time I was out there. So what, so what what was the straw that broke the camel's back for me is I was literally sitting in this ground blind. Like I said, I was getting cold. I was getting really cold. And a gust of wind took the whole ground blind, which I had staked. Wow. And, <laughs> and blew it right into the trees, right over my head. It was gone like the movie Twister. It was whew, gone. I, I was thinking when you told me that, like, did he have it staked down? Oh, or yeah. Was, was he just willy-nilly just, did, just chilling No, because that thing after about a 10-mile-an-hour wind gets a little rocky if you don't stake it. So the first thing I did is I set it up, put the stakes in it. But then I blew it off, and I was it blew off. I went and got it, and I was all pissed off. I just dragged it right back through everything, and I stay I didn't stake it back down, but I put it over all my stuff. I rolled it up, and I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna uh, I'm just gonna go walk a few spots and check them, and then I'm out of here. Which brings me to my next point. So we explored this place with tree stands and ground blinds, right? I am thinking about doing something totally different, hunting there, and a that, tree ground blind stand, and that is no blind, no stand. 
just literally finding trees to lean up against off the ground, out in the open, no blind, no stand, and be, you know, sit in places for an hour or two, move, hour or two, move. I saw two Jamokes doing that today. Did Almost you? ran up on him. And the one guy just pokes his head out from a tree like, and he's like, you know, who are you? What are yeah, you doing here? I'm, I was thinking about doing that. Uh, just, uh, I don't know. I was thinking about it. We got a weekend off because we're not going to do firearm, you know, so we yeah, got a weekend off. I'm we not are talking go buy about a shotgun for you know for two weekends. We are, uh, yeah, and not just that, but most of the places we hunt, you got it's a lottery. You might you might not even get to hunt. Yeah, you know. But uh, we were talking about possibly doing a triathlon again that weekend. You know, uh, I'm sure Cal's going to have me stringing Christmas lights and stuff. But whatever, we're going to find something to do with that weekend. Just sucks because the deer are finally moving. Like things were actually up and moving. I didn't see much, but everybody else did. I did have a doe run in front of me. I, on Friday morning, a guy dragged out a spike buck. I probably wouldn't have shot that deer, but, you know, he was happy with it. So shout out to Dan Brat. He was with us yesterday, and he saw six deer. He also walked, like, umpteen miles. Yeah, he really took the long way to that tree, you know. He went all like, the way around. And then I went back there this morning, and oh, I'll, I'll just tell you about my day. But anyway, I was walking up. I was walking up the way I started yesterday, but I went to the spot that he was sitting in yesterday, today. I saw this dude. Well, okay, let me walk that back. I was walking up right next to the tree stand I was hunting yesterday. There's, I'm, I'm walking past it, right? There's this little tiny buck, not tiny, let's call him medium buck, runs right past me 20 yards away. And I'm sitting there, you know, I don't have an arrow knocked. You know, I'm not, I'm, I've, I have my tree stand on my back. I'm not ready to shoot or nothing like that. But he just kind of looks at me like, hey, man, you know, and then he turns off and runs. 150 yards away and stops and i'm like okay i'm gonna go stalk this first step i take he's gone so right after that yeah they definitely are good at that right after that i'm like man you know i'm i'm walking away you know i'm not even thinking about where i'm walking and i hear in the background i hear that like five times and i'm like what kind of bird is that you know and i'm looking around i don't see anything i'm looking around still don't see anything and it's this guy 30 feet up in the air and he used a saddle he used a one-step saddle to get 30 feet up in the air on this tree that's you know it was leaning but man, that that was the hot setup. He had the whole view of that field that was in front of him. That was just cool. That was very cool to see. And like, it probably took him a good half an hour to get up there. That that was insane. But anyway, I hunt my tree. Tree's like I don't know, twenty inches around. No, maybe not twenty. Let's let's call it eighteen. You know, a thick tree. The wind was ripping so bad that that whole tree was swaying. You know, this is a thick tree. And I was about 17-ish feet up it. It's just like you're on the end of a fishing pole, just oh, back yeah. and forth. That, I had that last week. I was actually standing up, and I described it as when you're standing. It was like standing in a boat as a wake from another boat's going by. And I, I like to do this thing where I look all around the tree stand, and I rest my arm against the tree to for stability when you're using binoculars, you know. And the whole thing's just shaking, you know. That was uh, that was an experience. So I got cold. I get down, talk to that guy that was 30 feet up in the air because I thought it was super cool. And I also wanted to apologize for walking right underneath them. Yeah, well, they expect that, you know. It, it, people, it, they're camouflage. They're meant to be camouflage, you know. He fooled you. Turned out to be a pretty cool dude. He's been hunting there a while. Uh, he showed me a, an easier way to get out of there. He just told me about it. He's like, oh, over there. So I walk out. Way easier way to get out of there than what I took to get there. So that was that was huge. But the second I get to the like the end of that trail where it turns into the bigger trail that everybody's on, there's this buck about 65 yards away. Again, no arrow knock, tree stand on the back. He sees me. My, my bow is white, so he took like, I think that he saw my white and was intrigued by it. And then he realized it wasn't a bow. Stop walking towards me. 
and then he he snorted. Now this was magnificent to hear, to say the least. But the the snort was like, whoa, you know, it was it was insane and like a huge, you know, it could have been his breath, it could have been moisture, or whatever. But it just went woof, and this big puff came out of him, and he ran off. It was cool. I, I wish he was in my freezer now, but you know, yeah, it's not the way it works. I wish, man, I put my time in. I don't. This this sport is definitely harder than what I thought it was going to be getting into it. Yeah, but I mean, it's well worth it. We've learned a lot of good lessons. Like me just seeing those two deer today, that was worth it to get out there in the first place. I thought about swinging by after work one or two days this week to try them. You know, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Because I get out where it's like I'd only really have an hour. Oh, you should. Screw it. Maybe. Maybe I'm just nervous about shotgun season. Them scaring them all out of there now. Anyway, that's all I got. You want to get to the news? Yeah, let's do it. I'll go first. Go for it. Uh, my. Indiana story. Now, this is also another Patrick PSA. Maybe we'll do a segment like that. Uh, this guy fell out on his, it was on his personal property. A cable on his tree stand broke. He fell 12 feet to the ground. Uh, I had to get airlifted out because he had a back injury. And uh, I just thought it was fascinating because my tree stand, even the one I've been using a lot during the cold weather because I can carry more stuff on it is the climber. So it's got two cables. I feel like it'd be pretty hard to break. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think something else went way wrong, or it's something is just old and rotted. But our tree stands aren't going to break like with this guy. There's just no way. That, like the he tree left it on the break. tree for a year. That could be, or he didn't fasten it. It said I'm not worried about him being in the climber. It said it was on his own property. I got to imagine it was a permanent tree stand that you don't need to do all this work to carry it out there. And he probably had something fastened wrong, or fastened old, something that wasn't inspected. I think something probably went unnoticed or uncared for, and that's what caused the injury. But that's it, just a guess. I don't know. And it's not only that he didn't have his harness hooked up, because I guarantee you, half the guys that wear harnesses don't even hook them up. They just wear them out there to feel good, and then they they don't hook them up afterwards. So. I do. You know, today was actually the first day, even before I read this article, uh, I was like, you know what? I'm climbing the whole way up with the harness because the tree I was on today was kind of slippery. What You know, the bark wasn't as grippy as it should have, you know, as it, I'm used to. So I'm like, in case I slip off of this thing, I'm, I'm, you know, move my harness all the way up. But yeah, just another PSA. Number one, wear your harness. Number two, inspect your, your tree stand. You know, like this, this kind of stuff happens. And what's the number one injury to hunting, Jim? Uh, I'm going to say falling on your arrow. Falling on your arrow. Yeah. Man. Isn't it? No. Were you shooting yourself with an arrow on yeah. accident? Arrow's accidentally going off. No, it's tree stance. So PSA, get it done. Uh, that came from Wayne 15, by the way. You want me to go? Yeah, go for it. I'm going to start with Illinois, and this is from Field and Stream. And it's not really, it's, it's kind of news, but it's Illinois bow hunter takes two stud Boone and Booners in four days. Okay. The Booners, the Boone and Crocker Club, it's like a... I think you have to measure a minimum of like 140-inch antlers and stuff like that. Matt Lynch got two bucks in four days that total 385 inches. He started watching one buck that they named Nightmare because he was so elusive, they said. Nightmare is a massive 270-pound deer. 275-pound deer. It's a 14-pointer, 19-inch inside spread. 180 inches total, and he's about seven year, seven and a half years old. So he shot that one, like I think it said October 29th. And he went out like November 2nd, 1st, something like that. And he had one more buck tag to fill. So he went after another buck called uh, Jaw Dropper. He said it's a, he called it, call it Jaw Dropper because the rack is so insane that it's jaw dropping. So they, they, nick, they nicknamed this deer Jaw Dropper. It was a 11-pointer grossing 204 inches with a 22-inch inside spread. And all that was done in four days. And were there pictures? There were pictures, yeah. If, wow. I had a web, if we had a website going, it would be up. 
You know, because on paper that sounds like, yeah, I had this big fish, you know, this big, and you know. Oh no, there were pictures of both of them, and they were absolutely insane deer. He got them both archery, and the boon, the when they call it a boon, where I was actually looking into what it takes, and it's like you got the boon and Crockett Club, and you got the uh, what was that other one? Young, I'm having a brain fart right now. Sorry about that. But it, they actually have to have a minimum antler to qualify. It's just a record keeping scale, and it's all done through them. So, but there's all these different measurements. The base measurement right off the top of the head. It's got to be a certain circumference. And like these were like six inches or something. Imagine that. You know, a baseball's nine. You know, I would love to have a little four point rack on my wall right now. I'd love to have anything to show for all this work <laughs> I'm doing. <laughs> but I mean, we have seen some good stuff. You saw I, that one buck. I worked like, uh, I don't know, not many hours this week, probably 46 hours this week. And I, but I got 26 hours in a tree stand. So, I mean, I got, it's coming up close to being like a full-time job doing this, and I have nothing to show for it. But, I mean, you were in a ground blind, so at least you were a little warmer, right? It was a little warmer until it blew away. <laughs> and, and then it's a catch-all. Then it's a kite. So that's my Illinois story. Oh, and that was down by his farm, his own personal farm, in, uh, down by Peoria, by the way. Yeah, you hear about these massive Illinois bucks. That must be a southern thing because I don't think it's up here. Well, that's like when we talk about buying hunting property and everyone's like, oh, let's go to Michigan. Let's go to Wisconsin. It's like, uh, if we're going for bucks, if we're going for real deer, I'm going to central to southern Illinois with hunting property. So that brings up a weird, interesting point. How do you feel about naming deer? I don't have a problem with it. Why? I don't know. Some people do. I'm kind of like halfway on it. Like, No, especially these, these guys that... You got to remember, these guys hunt these things all year. They're only allowed to hunt them with a gun, you know, a couple months or uh, archery equipment, a couple months a year. But these guys are watching these things. All, they're almost like pets, you know? Yeah. All, I mean, they see them all the time, and they, they're always checking on them, and they know they know when the wind is out of this direction that they're going to head down this trail. That's how this guy found that nightmare, is he saw it in a trail camera on X day, and he records the wind. The wind's out of this direction. He wanted to hit that deer. He saw the wind's perfect, so he went and sat in the tree stand. No kidding. Like clockwork. This deer walked down, arrow in his side. Wow. So, they, no, they, they get attached to him, and they're going to keep him. They're that, not, they're there's not just some people out there that feel like you're killing your pet. It's it's not disrespecting it. It's it's keeping track of anything. You know, they name everything to keep track of anything. If anything, it's kind of given a little bit more respect to it because you put in so much work that you've actually kind of developed a weird little relationship. Well, when you, get a, when you get a wall mount, You'll say that's nightmare up there, you know, or whatever. So no, I think you're kind of honor them if anything. Yeah. Go ahead. All right. So my um, my Michigan story, which you can okay, you can find this on uh, WZZM thirteen. A doe broke into a store. Now keep in mind, this is the rut, so deer are going crazy. We are like, I don't know, we're probably not in the middle of the rut. We're in the beginning weeks of the rut, right? Yeah, I'd say probably another couple of weeks, right? But deer are just, yeah, deer are just running around going nuts. So this deer jumps through the window of, uh, and you, you can go on this website and actually see this. It's actually pretty funny. Deer jumps through. They call the fire department and, you know, everybody's trying to chase the deer out of there. And uh, there was one section, I forget if it was like deer clothing or something like that, but it blended right in. They didn't see it. And uh, there was a Halloween pumpkin. You know, those, you know the, the typical, if you were to picture a Halloween pumpkin that kids collect candy in, there was one of them in there. And it got stuck on its face. No kidding. So, and they're trying to catch this deer, but the deer has a pumpkin stuck on its face, which is not funny. The ironic thing is that the headline was "Deer Run a Buck." It was a it was a doe. I thought that was funny, but it was just where was that one at? Uh, this was in Michigan. Yeah, but like Michigan's a big state. Walker, Michigan. So that's uh, 
You know, but I mean, we're in the rut. Deer going nuts. I mean, I've seen more deer in the last two days than I have even, you know, all year long. There was a lot of holiday references to this deer, but it was just, I don't know, pretty funny. And I mean, it's one of those things where in the middle of the hunting season, like there's not a whole lot of news coming out of anywhere. No, it's it's not. I I got a decent one. Can I go for Wisconsin? Yeah, go for it. This is from OutdoorLife.com. Title is Largemouth Bass virus has been discovered in Wisconsin smallmouth bass. Whoa. The Wisconsin DNR has verified smallmouth have the same virus that is usually in largemouth out uh, towards the east coast. It was found in Green Bay by the Door County area, which smallmouth fishing up there is a huge sport. You know, obviously lake trout and all that, but smallmouth too. Fish have skin wounds that appear red, ulcerated, and varied in size and location. The virus causes weakness, abnormal swimming, overinflation of the swim bladder, and reddening. Oh, and death in largemouth bass. Not much is known at this point to the fatality of smallmouth bass with the disease. And what they're saying uh, it could be a problem, which we're actually going to get into, is transferring different... We, we cause these diseases to transfer. And I, I got a couple of situations in here that we're going to talk about. They actually talk about how, how to help avoid this, which is true for zebra mussels and it's true for diseases. It's true for any invasive species. That's why we have gobies now, things like that. So we're actually going to get into that after our segments. You want to get into our segments or you got something else to say? You know, like the CWD of smallmouth. Yeah. They don't know if it's going to kill them yet like it does the largemouth, but they pulled out 14 of them and they tested them and they said, yep, it's the same exact virus and it's spreading and we got to stop it. I mean, you don't have, you don't really have a lot of chances to see a fish swimming funny, and you know, obviously, when you're reeling it in, you know. But uh, you get some clear water up there in Lake Michigan. You could see them. When me and uh, Bill were out on Lake Michigan in the kayaks, we were looking 25 feet of water at a school of smallmouth. That's awesome. You know, that's they, awesome. I wish I could see that. They wouldn't they wouldn't take anything that day. We were dropping rattle traps and jigs and all kinds of stuff, ripping them right in front of their mouth, and they were just letting them go. You know, got a rock bass. I remember that. Anyway, we're going to move into uh, Bush Like Billy and Kelsey's Corner, and then we're going to come back to Fair Chase Situations. Part three. Bush Light Billy, here again. Here again. As usual, we have Bush Light. We have Bush Light. It just wouldn't be the segment without it. Yep. And it's actually a great day today. Why is that? It's your birthday. Happy birthday, man. Thank you very much. Welcome to your mid-30s. Thanks. Yeah, Pat didn't even say anything. Yeah. You know, but, uh, I mean, he called me today, but not on the podcast. We yeah. recorded this yesterday. Yeah, no, it's your birthday, mid-30s. How's uh, that feel? Yeah, it feels like the mid-30s. Yeah. You know, you wake up, your knee hurts a little bit. You're, actually, no, I feel fine. Yeah. So I, can't, <laughs> I, I, I have none of those complaints. You yeah. Know? In fact, I, if, give me two shovels and an 18-year-old, I'll outwork them. Yeah. I guarantee it. Well, you you're know? in the best shape of your life, so. I appreciate that. Yeah. So what do you have for us this week? This is kind of a treat. It, it was a treat. It was a learning experience. It was um, preparatory work. So I've been tasked with the turkey this year for Thanksgiving. I've been tasked with it. I've been cooking a lot lately, and you know, my stepdad John asked me if I would, you know, if I wouldn't mind doing that. So I, I said, yeah. you know, what you've been cooking so much that a local big time show gave you an opportunity to talk about your cooking on your podcast. Did you know that? Oh yeah. What 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 show was that? The oh, podcast. That's the Whistle Mission. Is that Outdoors the Whistle Mission podcast? Outdoors podcast? Yeah. Well, you can email us at Whistle Mission Podcast at gmail.com. At gmail.com. Yeah, I go. We slipped that in there in your segment. All right, go ahead. I'm, oh, I'm yeah. done interrupting. I'm done interrupting. Or like Pat would say, "Welcome to the Whistle Mission Podcast." Pat, yeah. it's Whistle Mission Outdoors. I had to correct him. I heard you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so, I decided I was going to do a smoked turkey. I was going to smoke it, obviously for Thanksgiving. But I wanted to. I've never done this before. I've never made a turkey. I've very green to 
that whole side. So what I did is I had a 16-pound uh, turkey uh, sitting in the freezer, which turkeys are stupid cheap this time of year. I paid like 10 bucks for it. Actually, no, I paid like $8 for it. Really? I, I thought I heard they were going to be real expensive this year. No, Not well, the case, huh? Nope. Okay. Uh, you can find them. Actually, Meyer right now has $0.39 cents a pound, which is stupid. Um, I paid $0.49 cents at Jewel. So it was like, yeah, it was 8 bucks. about. Wow. Uh, I got a 20-pounder for Thanksgiving. That's still in the freezer. That that cost me like ten seventy five. So it's... Wow. Yeah, it's definitely the time of year to buy turkeys. My ground turkey I pre- meal prep with is more expensive than that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, wow. no, it's... Just frozen turkeys are on sale, so get them while they, get them while you can, I guess. So did a little bit of research online about it. Talked to some guys at work, you know, trying to figure out, hey, have you ever smoked a turkey before? How do you do it? Um, just trying to get kind of like the groundwork set. Uh, the big thing was pulling it out of the freezer about three days before. Three days. Three days. If you think sixteen pounds, that's a sixteen pound chunk of ice, and you're going to put it in the freezer. That's you, you true. Know? That's true. So. I'm glad I did that. I pulled it out, put it in the fridge about three days before. See, if I had to do this, I would have pulled it out of the freezer and right into the smoker. Yeah, no, 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 you can't. Yeah, you can't do that. Wrapper and all. I guess you know <laughs> you can defrost them by putting them in water and putting them in a cooler. You know, a day before. But I, I went the smart route. Did it uh, three days before. So you're gonna do that for Thanksgiving then? I'm gonna do that for Thanksgiving. So you're gonna you're gonna pull it out on like Monday? Yeah, probably. I'll probably pull it out Sunday, actually, just because it's twenty. It's four pounds heavier than the one I just did. Yeah, wow. Okay, so keep going. I'm, I gotta find. I'm some, like amazed by this detail. Yeah, I gotta find some fridge space. Gotta do some cleaning out. So being green to this, talking to some guys at work, I took longer than I anticipated. So here are some of some of the lessons that I learned. First of all, for for prep work, I cut up a lemon, just cut it in half, and then I quartered an onion. And that's what I stuffed it with. Didn't use stuffing. Didn't use anything like that. There's gonna be stuffing at you know at thanksgiving yeah there's always uh, stuffing around especially with your family oh god there's 20 pounds of it so that's what i stuffed it with i didn't do any dry rub what i did is it's a it's kind of a basting thing and you know a guy i work with greg kind of uh turned me on to this one it's very simple and it works for pretty much everything so you take uh newman's own olive oil and vinegar salad dressing just the stuff that you buy at the store that's your base Put a little bit of A1 or just regular old steak sauce in it, a couple of drops of liquid smoke, a little bit of garlic powder, and some uh, the dried chopped onions. You find them, that's in the spice aisle. Mix that all up. That is just a perfect, just very simple, very flavorful basting. You get a nice crust on the outside of whatever you're cooking. I've used it a couple of times on a couple of different things that I've tried, um, chickens, in this case turkey. So I was basting it for the first probably three hours that I was smoking it. And I'll get into that in a second. Um, pulled it out of the oven, or I'm sorry, pulled it out of the fridge, got it stuffed with everything. And another thing that Greg, you know, me and Greg were talking about is having a little water pan underneath it. So basically what I did, and this is his, his recipe, and it, it worked phenomenally, and I'm going to try it on future cooks and, you know, and next time I smoke something. So I take an aluminum foil pan, you know, one of those like lasagna pans that's, you know, 12 by 8 or whatever whatever size they are. Fill it about half an inch full of water. Um, I quartered a lemon. I quartered an orange and a couple of those small gala apples. Uh, put some cranberry juice in there and then um, a jar or a can of that uh, like fruit cocktail. You buy, you know, you can just get like a little fruit cocktail, a little mix. Just pour all that in there and let's set it right underneath the turkey under the smoker. So what that does is it just kind of bubbles and all those sugars and everything. It just really. Oh, I didn't think all this went into it. Yeah, it just really glazes the outside of it, and it just oh, 
the the I, I don't know if you're you don't really like turkey that much, but like the no, but I mean I'm interested in, in trying. I've always had it the standard issue way that everybody's grandma and you know yeah mom no it was it, you know this this was good. Um, I'll definitely try to use this on the one for Thanksgiving. And um, it, it's not the taste I don't like. It's just that it's usually like stringy and dry, and you're just like yeah oh, chewing on it. And no, it's like, you know I I just that's why I never. It's not the taste necessarily. It's like the consistency, the delivery of it. Yeah, right. Use cherry pellets. We went with cherry this time, cherry or apple. Um, so I wanted. I was fruity. waiting for you to bring that up, and I heard, and I was from Mayor Mike. He, asked, I told him you were doing this. Yeah, and he said, uh, "Is he going to get the turkey kit?" And I said, "I don't know what you're talking about." And he says that Traeger. I know you don't use Traegers, but he yeah. says Traegers has a turkey kit and the turkey pellets. Have you heard of anything about no. this? No. Okay, I was just curious. I, there was something. There was something very specific Traeger does with either with pellets or a setup for smoking these things. I oh, didn't really. Know. I just wanted to see if you heard about it at all. No, I know I, you're not a Traeger guy. That's kind of this. That's kind of the mainstream smoker. Yeah, you that's know. you know, that's all right. You know, not everyone. Uh, not no. everyone's a Traeger guy. Yeah, uh, especially you. I, yeah. I, like, I like that gorilla. Yeah, the gorilla that you know just it just runs circles around the Traeger. But I, I won't get I won't get into that. No, I haven't heard of that. I'll have to do some research. Was I was just about. curious if there was anything you heard of with that. No. Uh, I'm interested though. I mean, yeah, maybe there was, there was a, a special blend of because he's he's actually doing the same thing for his parties. He's smoking and, he, and today he's on his phone. He goes, "I got to go order the turkey." It was like pellets or a kit or something like that. Huh? Yeah, I'll have to look it up. I'll see what it's all about. So, yeah, well, go on. So thanks, Mayor so, Mike. So uh, fruity, uh, fruity pep, fruity, fruity pellet, pebbles, fruity pellets. <laughs> They're not like fruity pebbles. Nothing but like turkey. fruity. Yeah, fruity pellets. Uh, apple, cherry. I did cherry this time. Um, I really like the way, I really like the way the cherry ends up smoking um that's that's what i'm gonna use for thanksgiving lessons learned i started it at 225 i'll never start at that low again um too low it's very low that's too low um it don't you usually when you're smoking pork and beef don't aren't you usually 165 no no i'm usually yeah 225 is about the lowest i'll go to start oh yeah. okay i thought i thought all this other stuff you smoked real low time no i mean yeah 200 you can start at but like that's that's pretty low. Oh, okay. Yeah, two twenty. I started at two twenty-five. It, it wasn't getting up to temp fast enough, and you know, kind of doing some reading online and looking at stuff. You're really only getting the smoke infused flavor for the first, you know, couple of hours that it's actually smoking. So next time, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to start at two fifty, leave it there for probably two hours, bring it up to two seventy-five, see what it's looking like, you know, taking temperature readings and everything, and uh, I'll probably finish it off at like three. 300 325 because yeah this was ended up being about eight hours yeah it seems like a long time but it it turned out phenomenal um the skin uh between the uh between the basting with that uh olive oil vinegars dressing and then the uh the fruit tray underneath it that stuff was just bubbling just like a pie you know just like sitting underneath just bubbling just uh, steaming right into the turkey oh the skin was phenomenal nice and crispy you cut into this thing juice just overflowed everywhere it was just amazing so it was a success it was a very good success like i said some lessons learned things i'm going to try next time you know obviously turn the temperature up a little bit maybe try some different fruits in the in the tray grapefruit i don't know you know stuff to think about but uh no it was it was a big success i made a giant 16 pound turkey dinner mashed potatoes stuffing and everything for myself yesterday so nice nice yeah so any ladies out there that you know are single. single and everything that 
Bill is single and ready to mingle, ladies. Yeah, Obviously, listen to his cooking. Ready like, to cook, you know. You could eat like this every day of your life. Yeah, well, maybe not every day, but uh, I still like my frozen pizza. And, four days a week. Yeah, four days a week. Four days a week you could eat like yeah, this. Yeah, pretty much. But no, it turned out phenomenal. It, it really did. I'm actually glad I did it. I made sure the smoker was still working. I haven't smoked something in a couple of weeks now. Yeah, it's a busy time. Totally it's, get it. Six days a week working, voluntary Sundays. We're actually on voluntary Sundays. Yeah, that's good money. Oh, so that's what I wanted to add, too, is next week. So I actually saved the turkey carcass. So after I, after I finish um, uh, carving it and everything, there's still some of that meat that you can't quite get to that's in there. And I talked to Ed at work, and he was telling me about he, ma- has, he makes turkey soup. So what you do with that, I'm going to try it next weekend. I think Kel's just going to love it. Kel likes soup. I like soup. You don't like soup. I just don't see the point in it. Well, picture this. So picture a turkey carcass simmering with vegetables and everything like that for hours. So everything just kind of like falls off the bone and everything. You strain everything out and then pick all like the turkey meat out of it. Make you a nice turkey soup. Here I thought you were going to say you're going to go set a coyote trap. Yeah, I was way off. Coy- way yeah. off. <laughs> Definitely not. No, I, I'm glad. I am glad I did it because it took longer than expected. Uh, my first try doing it for... Um, for Thanksgiving, definitely going to start a little bit earlier next time, especially with a, a bird that's four pounds heavier than the one that I did. And, uh, no, it, it was a successful successful smoke, I would say. Is that but all you got for us? That's all I got for you this week. Um, like I said, probably this weekend we'll be doing turkey soup. I'm, I'm working Saturday again, and we may be working Sunday, so I may just do a uh, turkey soup, kind of let that simmer all day. And The state forbid me from bow hunting this weekend, so... Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, It's a firearm season. This is when all your amateurs come out, and uh, I should stop probably saying that because all our amateurs are listening, but I'm not a firearm guy, so... Hey, we're we're amateurs, too, so... Oh, yeah. Oh, you're amateurs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I haven't even started. There's a lot of guys that are going to be in the woods hunting this weekend that only hunt two weekends a year. That's all I have to say. Yeah. So anyway, that's all you got. No, thanks for having me, Jim. And uh, again, happy birthday. Yeah, thank you for bringing over the uh, old birthday pops here. Yeah, birthday pops, a little bit of whiskey to go with it. Oh, and, yeah, uh, and he, he did get me a bottle of Woodford Reserve, my absolute, my, is my single favorite whiskey on the market. only one of two whiskeys that I'll actually drink, so. Very good. It's very good. Anyway, yeah, thanks for having me, man. I'll catch you next week. Thanks. Welcome to Kelsey's Corner. Hello, Kelsey. I haven't seen you in a week. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. I see you every day. Oh, that's right. We're married. That's right. I confuse you with this other... Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> You're so dramatic. Anyway, um, I figured today's podcast topic would be on how to get Reggie for... Doing Reggie. Ready. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> how to get Reggie. Reggie. I've been up early. Anyway, um, how to get ready for doing some of our DIY projects that we do. Just like prep work, you mean? Yeah. Just like I feel like a lot of people don't exactly... They like see these projects on Instagram, like, oh my gosh, that looks like so much fun. And easy. It only and took easy. them 20 minutes to make this yeah. bathroom. And yeah. I feel like they just start doing it and then they realize how hard it is and then they get discouraged. So I think I would just share like how I get ready to do a project. All right. You got them in order or, what, or is this a list? or um, what? It's like a mental list. I obviously forgot to write them all down, but I'm all just right. going to start from the beginning. I'll chime in when need be. Go um, ahead. Number one. So obviously first you want to find your project. So really? this will be important for, well, this will, how it want, how you want it to look, I guess. So this will be important when I redo the guest bathroom which I'll talk about on like a future one and people will see pictures. But pretty much it's like you want to just make sure you have everything planned out in your head. 
I have colors of like the walls, the cabinets, like everything. You want to plan it all out. And I feel like that step is skipped. Are you falling asleep? Yeah. Why? Go ahead. (sighs) Sorry. I'm not talking about hunting. (laughs) Manly things. Banging our. Oh, sorry. Should I brought you bush light maybe? Oh, that that always gets my attention. There's one right there. All right. Come on. Keep going. Anyway. um, So then you want to just make sure that. Say you're doing like a shiplap wall. You want to make sure that you have everything you need to do it. If you're going to do it out of plywood, which we're obviously going to be doing soon, you want to make sure you have all the tools, everything, and you want to make sure you can actually do it. So I know for doing that, we're going to do it out of plywood because we're going to show everyone that you can make a cheap shiplap wall out of plywood. Um, But I know for a fact I can't work that table saw over there. Uh, for plywood, we're probably not going to use that table saw, actually. So. Oh, well, then maybe I can do it without you. But regardless. No, the other saw is way scarier. The oh. table saw is like 10,000 times. We're going to use a circular saw for that. Okay. Well, regardless, you want to make sure that for the equipment that you're going to need, that A, you're competent in doing it, and B, you want to make sure you have all the right equipment for what you're going to do. Um, like I feel like a lot of people just get into a project and they don't have the proper equipment or proper know-how to do that's so why don't project. you break this down a little further? So it, it, I think what you're trying to say, correct me if I'm wrong, is you want a material list? A material list, correct. What else? A tool list to complete the project. So I think you need a couple different lists going. You need a material list. You want a tool list. You want to have everything that you need. It just is so annoying to keep going out to the store like 18 times for this tool or that tool, or you don't know how to do something, so the project ends up getting stalled. Because and when you, don't you say know how. when you say materialist, go over what you mean by a materialist. Um, so it it's everything you need to do the project. Whether you're painting, you need to have the paint, the brushes, stuff to clean it up, the tape, all that stuff before you start the project. I feel. Let's use a specific example. So the door. What did we do for the door? What door? Oh, the barn door we built. Yeah. So, so give a material list. So if we, we I made a list of all the wood we first measured. So that's a very important step too. You want to make sure if you are building something, measure. Measure twice. Make sure everything's measured out properly. So then I made a list of all the pieces of wood we needed. We went Different out to sizes. Different two by sizes. six, two by four. I think we even got like one extra piece just in case. Of course. Which I don't think is a bad idea. So we made a list of everything we needed. And then we needed caulk, so we had that. And then we need I had paint, so we didn't need that. But we made sure we had, like, wood filler, wood glue. We made sure we had everything at that one trip. Like, we only made one trip for that door. Yep. So we had everything we needed. That was our material list. Screws, then, nails. Yeah, You got to figure out if you're going to screw. If you're using, a you know, a typical one-by, a typical one-by, I believe, is actually, like, three-quarters of an inch thick. And you know you're going to be anchoring it into a two by four, so you got to actually figure out what length screws you're going to need. Yeah. You know, if you got one inch screws to mount, you know, a board that you're going to hang something off of, you uh, you're going to need something a little longer. Yeah. So you're going to need to figure that out. So figure pretty much but, either at the store when you're looking at it, or before you go, so that you're not at the store for hours on end trying to figure out how to do the project that you want to do. I think you it's and me keep stock. Let's see what this says. We usually keep stock of every kind of screw about half inch increments. Yeah. So, and when that box goes out, we just buy another box whether we need it or not. So yeah. Well, it's we do nice so many to, projects. Yeah. So it's nice to come down here and say, I need a two inch. Yeah. I need a two and a half. I need a three, three and a half, so on. Yeah. So and we start at like one. Yeah. So I think that you should try to make sure you grab everything that one trip just because I'm, I think it's really annoying to have to go out to the store another time for something just because I forgot it and I didn't, just pure, poor planning. 
So, okay, so now we're building that door. Yeah. Let's say a material list example or a tool list example. So, so you know we got to do what? We're going to build so, it in a garage. Yeah, so we came down here. We grabbed um, those, like, what are they, workbenches or something? Yeah, sawhorses. Yeah, sawhorses. We grabbed your level. We grabbed a tape measure. We grabbed all the saws we need. Um, How did you know what saws you were going to need? You. you oh, and just going off of me? <laughs> well, no, I knew we needed, um, what's this one called over here? Circular saw. We knew we, or, no, I'm, I'm sorry, miter saw. Miter saw. I knew we needed a miter, and actually, I think that's the only saw we used. No, we used a circular saw for ripping plywood. Oh, that's right. So I knew we needed those two saws, so we grabbed that, bring it upstairs. You want to make it easy to like get to, so if we built that door down here, it would just be a pain to get it upstairs. So we brought everything upstairs. And just um, a lot messier. We knew we were going to make a thousand cuts in two minutes. Yeah. And so we might as well just do it in a garage with the door open. Yeah. We brought the level. We brought those clamps because we needed the clamps. We brought Clamps all for the glue. Clamps for glue. We bought the glue, the screws. Um, I think we used to hammer at some point too, just to hammer the wood um, over a little bit to make it even. Mm, yeah. We were flushing something up and we yeah. put some pressure on it, used a hammer to get it all level or yeah. flush. So I think it's just important to make sure you bring everything up instead of like, oh, I'm going to use this, and then having to stop and go grab another tool. I think it's a best practice to have everything there. Sorry, I hit the microphone, and now you glared at me. Um, have everything there versus making like 14 trips downstairs just to do one part just because you can't bring everything up at the same time. So tool list, have everything, and then I think if you're doing – like say when I redo the bathroom, I have an order of what I'm doing first and you want to think about the order in which you're going to do things like, oh, I'm going to paint the countertop first before I do the, you don't know about any of this, but anyway. Um, so I'm We're painting. Not, this is an example, everybody. No, this is not. Anyway, so I'm going to paint the countertop first before I do the cabinet because if it leaks onto the cabinet, I'm going to paint the cabinet anyway. And then I'm going to do the cabinet next because I'm doing the floors too. So if I spill anything from the cabinet onto the floors, I'm already going to redo the floors last anyway. So you just want to think about the order in which you're doing things and you want to make sure the order makes sense. Like I don't want to be doing the floors first and leaking paint on the floors that I just did. You're getting bored. Why do you ask me to do this segment if you're not interested? In I'm just it? trying to get you giggling. That's anyway. All. Um, so yeah, you just want to make sure that the order makes sense. Like I'm not going to do the floors first when there's a whole bunch of like I'm going to do shiplap up there. Like, I don't want anything scuffing the floors I just did just because I I timed it poorly. So I think that that's a lot of what people don't think about when they are like, I want to redo this. They just want to do it. They see it on Instagram. They're like, I want to do it. Part of my projects is a lot of planning goes into it. Like, the furniture stuff, not so much because, like, I just see, I'm like, I see a piece of furniture. I see how I want it. I just do it. There's not a lot of planning that goes into it. But like the rooms and the stuff that we do, there is a lot of planning that goes into it. One thing I want to add is like the whole time that we're doing this, like at least when I'm doing a project, is I'm always envisioning either the final product or the exact next step. But I always have a picture in mind of what I'm trying to do. Oh, yeah. I know that sounds like basic, but like really picture this door is hanging up here. Do I want it to have an angle here? Do I want it to be more dimensional? Do I want more detail? Always picture what it's going to look like yeah. the entire time you're doing it. Yeah. And go for a goal. So, okay, so first we're going to need a piece of plywood this big. Picture yeah. a piece of plywood that big. You know, make sure it's mentally right. Yeah. That's what I did. So when I did the bedroom, and plus I had a time frame for everything because I only had the four days to do it, and I had a hiccup in getting off the um, popcorn ceiling. Well, now I had to plank a ceiling by myself. So I had to spend time researching how to plank a ceiling, the proper equipment to plank a ceiling, all the materials, 
So I lost like a lot of my time period because I still had to finish the entire room then because that was a lot of work painting and doing the feature wall and everything. So I still lost a lot of time in just researching how to plank a ceiling and everything I would need for Yeah, but going it. into it, it would have been easy. Like if you knew you were getting into that. Yeah. So if I knew that, hey, popcorn's going to be terrible to take down, I would have already had spent that time how to plank a ceiling prior to you leaving on your trip and I wouldn't have been so crushed for time because I finished the bedroom in like just enough time for you to come home. So just because I kept thinking like, okay, the ceiling took me like a good three days to plank because it was a lot of work. Um, but yeah, you always have to have a time frame and just in general, like a lot of prep work and planning should go into projects. I think people can definitely redo their houses like by themselves and like pretty easily. I think people just need to plan it first. Yeah. So for to sum it all up, get a material list where you're building a cabinet. So we're going to need this kind of plywood, this kind of handle for the door, hinges. Get a material list. Figure out if you got the tools to make those materials into a cabinet. Mm-hmm. And then picture your project as you're doing it. Yeah. I just figured I would talk about this because in the winter months, I have a lot of projects that I'm doing coming up. Yeah, so we'll see I figured we'll see. We'll they're see. all good projects. I just wanted to throw it out there that, hey, a lot of planning goes into these projects that you see. Um, even on Instagram, like people like those influencers post these projects. There's, I'm sure, a lot of planning that goes into them. Just You can't just go out and do them. So just figured I'd mention it like, hey, plan your She's going to go over how to plan a bathroom that you're going to pay somebody else to do because that's we're, in a, we're currently in the process of that. That's just too yeah. big of a project to, for us, especially right now. So she's actually going to do a podcast on how to pick and plan and discuss. Yeah. Discuss what you're going to do with your contractor and all that. Yeah. She did all this on her own. I had nothing to do with it. Yeah, it's a lot of uh, planning and designing. So that's also coming. But she wanted to do, when she's talking about planning for a thing, it's we do a lot of little odds and ends around the house. Building yeah. a shelf, building a door, building a whatever. Yeah. And so this is kind of the process we go through. Yeah, and I have a, um, I'll be redoing our guest bathroom in whenever they're done with this bathroom. I was going to start that one. And then I'm going to be redoing. No, yes, I am. You already agreed to it. Um, but I'm going to redo the laundry room doors. So I have that all planned out. And then we're going to plank the entryway wall. But we're doing that one in plywood. Everything else will be shiplap. But that will be DIY shiplap. So there's fun. more podcast material for you. There you go. So is that all you got for us this week? We that's got kind of I a got. long podcast going. Yeah, sorry. That's that's it. I figured your listeners can redo their houses in the winter, though. Yeah, start planning hunting. for it. Yeah. Winter not hunting. Yeah. That's what I threw It's coming. It's, it's coming. It's coming. Sad, sad but true. There's a space there between hunting and fishing season that you, there's nowhere to go. You're stuck. Which is why you can help me do all my projects. Mm. Not ice fishing. Super fun. Your brother wants me to take him ice fishing. That's fine. It's actually easier to do my projects when you're not there because then you can't say no to him. Ah, okay. So, there you go. All right. So all that's right. it. That's it. Thanks Thank- for having me. Love you, Cal. Love you, Mim. Thank you, Kelsey and Billy. Kelsey. Uh, We're going to get into fair chase situations, okay? And I've been thinking about this, and as as I start thinking about this, more and more pop up. So, like, this is just a quick list, just because I don't want this podcast to be two hours long, okay? Do you want to go first? You've probably got, like, 25 more than me. Yeah, I got about 10 here, I'm going to say, 8 to 10. Um, I could start, obviously, so... Before we get into this, like I want to say, if you are an outdoorsman and you haven't been tempted about what we're going to talk about, you're lying. You're just you're straight up lying. Okay? There's a lot of gray areas. Everybody's like, well, well, maybe just this once, you know. And I, I, we're all we're all guilty for it. 
but this is kind of a refresher, you know. So ahead, you you go ahead. You set the tone with the first, say five. All right, I'm gonna go with the first one, and that is a trapped, as in mechanical trap by a human being or a stuck animal. So you're hunting deer, you walk out. This thing is ass deep in mud. It's stuck in uh, a snare, and it's an easy shot. It's an easy. You walk up, you stick an arrow, you carve it up, and you're eating food. Okay, so. But let's. Uh, what about the ethical of it? The ethical of it to me is like that's that's like a no, 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 no. You know, to me. But at the same time, our sister's husband, brother-in-law Nick, they have this pond right near their house. There's like this little muddy section right by the pond, and there was a deer stuck in there. And uh, they think it ran away from a coyote. Well, it, it must have broke a leg or something like that, and it couldn't get out of there. And once they once the DNR came and got it out of there. He said to Nick, hey, you, you don't want to see this next part. And they put it down. And I think you're going to have to. So that was my next. That's what I was going to say. If it's trapped and it's it's hurt and you got a tag, uh, I say fill it. That's just me. If it's if it's healthy and all you got to do is let it go, it's fair chase. Let the thing go. If you can help this thing out and let it go. It uh, comes down to a morals thing. And don't let it go and shoot it. Like, oh, okay, it's free now. I'll let it get 30 yards. Yeah, like, let it get let it get just outside, and then, then you go get it. No, I mean, you let it – I say if you if you can help out, help out. It's not fair for you to do that. I think it's ethical to put it down if it's hurt and it's not going to do – if it's not going to live a good life and it's going to get destroyed by a bunch of coyotes, I say finish it off. Definitely. And that happens. That happens. Evan Evan had to put one down that jumped through a fence and poked holes in his belly. That he had to go out and put that one down. But if it's, if it's healthy, it's not right. It's not right to kill that animal, right? But at the same time, you're going to fill a tag with a not healthy deer. What do you mean? You know, I mean, I mean, would fe- would people feel obligated to fill a tag with a deer that they feel wasn't healthy? Hmm, that's a good question. I don't know. Really, like, like, why would I want to eat that one? That that one was trapped in a mud pile for who knows how long. You know, I don't think it would be trapped in there that long. You know, I think something would come along and get it. I guess me personally, I think I'd feel good about filling a tag with it. I'd be like. uh I did. I took my my fair share. Let's put it that way. If you do feel it, if you kill that deer and you're taking it, you did. Your, you got your fair share. You got a, a doe tag and it was a doe. You got your buck tag. It was a buck. You f- you got your quota. You got what was owed to you. Not owed to you, but what you were deserving of. Yeah, I bet you would have shot. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm ready to shoot the first brown thing that speckles or not. I'm ready to shoot something. No, I'm, I'm just I'm just teasing. But all right, so I'll do the second one, which is also another deer one. This is one I was thinking about today. The place where you're hunting today, I'm not going to spot burn, but place where you're hunting today, there is a big wide trail. You can hunt on one side, you can't hunt in, on the other side. The middle, I don't know if it's a gray area or what. The deer, let's say they let's all Let's say, get, we'll, we'll just for this situation, we'll draw an imaginary line down the middle of this trail. All right, go ahead. So you're you're stalking this deer, right? You know, if you if you do the stalking thing or you saw one earlier and you're going to go over there and see if it's still there. And you're like, oh, you know, and then this thing crosses that imaginary line. Some people would feel obligated to shoot it. They say, oh, nobody's going to know. I'm just going to drag it right across the field here after I find it. And uh, to me, that's not fair chase because that deer ran there because it somehow figured out that that was the safe haven. Could, it could just be coincidence. I would be very tempted to shoot that deer, though. You know, I'd have to see what the situation is. Did I squander something and then it ends up in uh, that? You know, if I did, I miss three shots and then it ended up crossing this line. Then it is kind of your fault. the The biggest thing I could think that would make it wrong is if you actually put thought into it. If it happens after you shot the deer, I wouldn't feel so bad. If you're like, "Oh wait, I shot that thing. Was I supposed to shoot that?" I would feel a lot less guilty than, "Hey, I know that thing's over there. I know it's over there. I know I'm not supposed to shoot it." So I probably, I probably wouldn't shoot it at that point. But the temptation would be killing me. Yeah, the temptation would be killing me as well. 
You know, when like I was walking down that imaginary line today and I'm thinking, man, if I saw something over here, like it'd be really hard to turn away, you know, but at the same time, I don't want to get a, in trouble. There's a, yeah, that's the biggest thing is it's legal. Is it ethical? I don't, I don't see what's wrong with the ethics of it. I really, I don't see ethical is, but, but you could get yourself into some legal trouble for hunting a non hunting zone. But that also, so you were in a state park. Is it, let's say you shot that deer in fair territory and he ran to foul. Then you just got to call the landowner because that. No, that no, no. It's still the same park. It's just in a no hunting zone. Oh, I mean, then, then you just have some explaining to do, but you still got to recover it. I think I would drag that thing over to where I was and do my work then and leave it. Honestly, if it's all, if it's all state park owned, they just don't want you over there hunting. Chances are they don't want you over there hunting because there's a parking lot. There's a, a playground. There's a something. And your deer just ran over there. I don't see you're not over there slinging arrows around with kids playing. You're just going to retrieve a deer. So I probably would drag it back over where I'm supposed to, and I and do all my gutting and taking it back. That's what I. That's honestly what I would do if nobody was. If if I knew, if I knew there was a halfway chance I'd get in trouble, I would do it that way. And I don't know. We're, we were hunting today. There's a lot of blurred lines. There's especially on public ground. Especially on public ground in Illinois. Yeah. There's, they're, they're always trying to trick you into something. Oh, know? like we talked about before, there was this imaginary line that, uh, you know, the whole thing was claimed to be hunting ground, but there's this imaginary line and I got chewed out for it. So, and I was decently close to being okay. But anyway, what do you, what's your next one? My next one is called, I got it written down here is netting fish. And you could take this one of a million ways, but this is the way I had it in my mind. So you're out there in early spring, early, early spring. And the muskie and the northern pike spawn is done. Pike spawn first, then the muskie. And you're sitting, they're sunbathing. And they're kind of zoned out. Would you, if you had the opportunity, would you net one of those and take a picture with it and claim it as a catch? No, because I don't, I, I don't do that kind of stuff. Uh, ethically, I do feel like netting is wrong because you didn't trick nothing. You were just there at the right time. Just and this goes for any kind of fish. Like let's say you could just catch it in a way you're not supposed to, you know. And nobody, no, you know, nobody's gonna find out. It's just you, maybe you and your buddy, whoever. Nobody's gonna find out. But I mean, it may be easy, but it's not right. Now, would would you be tempted to do that? Because you're you're strictly catch and release. So I wouldn't be tempted to do that. I'd be very. I would take a picture of it and enjoy it just as much. I would never be able to take a picture and say, "Hey, look here, look at this. Look what I caught." It, that wouldn't. That just wouldn't be a thing for me. I wouldn't be but, proud of it. You know, there'd have to be a lot of context behind it. It's not, hey, look what I found. You know, right. So I, that was just one little thing. If if because you get some of these stunned fish after spawning, and they would be easy to like just get your hands on. And I was thinking, just leave the fish alone if you have a chance. I know that's kind of a weak one, but I'm getting stronger here. But I wanted to throw that one out. That was one I thought of originally. If you can get your, or, you know, it, even if you want to throw it in a bow fishing, so you're 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 bow fishing sturgeon, and you see a pike on the surface. Ah, nobody will know if you shoot this one, you know, and keep it. But you would. I just say, leave it, follow all the laws, and don't don't take the easy route. So I'm going to throw one at you because I feel like it applies. We, we talked about it last week, but I feel like it, it also very much applies to this week. But if, is it fair chase or ethical? Let's, let's say just ethical for group tagging. So if somebody in your group has a tag for something you don't have a tag for. Yeah, didn't we t- talk about this last week? Yeah, but I'm just saying, you know, it's one of those things like it kind of – just another one of those toe those lines. I don't find it unethical because you're taking, like I said, you're, it's a quota. Uh, legal, I could see definitely some trouble. Oh, that's definitely some trouble. Yeah. But yeah, go ahead. Go ahead with another one. Uh, uh, let's see. Okay. So we're just going to go back to my Wisconsin story with uh, that uh, disease on bass. And draining water from your boat is what I have written down. To elaborate, I'm, I'm talking about draining water from your boat, cleaning off the trailer, 
and let's say you know, okay, so you pull up tonight. It's nine o'clock at night. It's dark. You're going to go home. You're going to sleep. You're going to come back and drop this boat in the water. What do you do with the seaweed on your trailer? Middle of summer, everything's overgrown. What, what, what's the right, what's the, what's the, what are you supposed to, what are you going to do? That, don't tell me what, what's right. Tell me what you're going to do. You're coming back in less than 12 hours. Yeah, I'm just leaving it on the trailer. You're just leaving it on the trailer, right? Okay, so. Oh, I didn't see that. What's that? And I'd be like, oh, I didn't see that. Okay. Your planes got canceled. You're known for sleeping in. Who, me? No. Yeah. So you slept in. Ah, you know what? I'm just going to mow the grass today. And then next week, you drop that trailer into a different body of water. You could have introduced a new kind of algae, uh, zebra mussels, this disease. When I'm talking about draining water from your boat, I'm talking about pulling the plug, letting it run down the launch, uh, pulling all the seaweed off, getting that boat clean. Like it's showroom ready as close as you can before getting it out. I actually do this. So I don't drag seaweed around with me. You know, I'm kind of weird about that stuff. So if my trailer has seaweed on it, I, I get it off before I even leave. But you realize what, like, the, that's, that's, cause so when it comes to ethical you you could be saving another species over here by cleaning off this over here so the biggest thing like i'm big on i'm big on that law and when we were in wyoming getting into like grand teton national park there was actually check stations and they were checking your boat to make sure you weren't going to introduce something to these glacial lakes and it was game wardens checking your boat to make sure you were not bringing something in and the same thing is true with firewood in state park so if you bring firewood from your house to a state park you could be introducing species that haven't been introduced there yet. That's how like gobies came in. I believe the way the story goes, the ship suck in the ballast water to go out to sea and then they come back into Lake Michigan or wherever. And yeah, that's exactly them. how it happens. Yeah. So, but they suck these little gobies up and now we got them. Now it's an invasive species we have here because of that. Now they are I don't the ugliest little things oh, ever yeah. too, man. They're like teardrops with that, that go in the water. It's, it's weird. And they're, they're getting bigger in numbers and it's all because of that ballast water from another ship. We used to catch piles of them. We used to make piles of them as a competition when we were kids. Yeah, they were in a canal we grew up next to. So I was thinking with when it comes to situational, you know tomorrow morning, it's 9 o'clock now, 4 o'clock in the morning, this boat's going to be back in this boat launch. Is it a big deal? And my answer is yes, because plans change. And now, so now you go from dropping it in a dirty Illinois river to an up north clean river without ever cleaning this off. This This is how things spread. And it's your job to make sure you're doing your part. If we all did what we were supposed to, it'd be a lot. I'm not saying it's gone, but it'd be a lot worse or a lot less worse. I used to take apart equipment uh, for this company that shifts up, shift stuff overseas. And this is farm equipment. We had to power wash that stuff completely. Like nothing left anywhere, anything. Yep. When we sent uh, trucks out overseas for a hurricane, we had to do that. There's not one speck of dirt on that truck because they didn't want anything. Hawaii's like this. The one time Cal bought these little plants that say it's safe to travel with. And uh, the agents at the airport gave her a hard time about it. She said, no, look, it says this. And then they let her get it through. But they wanted to know why you were taking vegetation off the island. I'm pretty sure there's like a goat in Hawaii that's an invasive species because somebody planted it there for food or something like that. I think I heard that somewhere. Leave everything where you found it is moral of the story. Go ahead. You got another one? So there was a situation I was talking about with the guy I was hunting with last weekend. They were out on a boat in Lake Michigan think they were walleye fishing. Don't don't quote me on that. Or maybe, yeah, I think it was Lake Michigan. I'm going to ask them. I'm going to hold you to it, okay? <laughs> but uh, they were coming back. It was 10 minutes before midnight. They had too many fish. Now, the law says per day, right, per calendar day, uh, they had too many fish. The DNR caught them. He says, man, I should have just showed up 10 minutes later. And, yeah, you'd get out of a ticket, right? But you still took too, you still took too many fish 
for what was considered to be, you know, a 24-hour period. One, that's a good day. Congratulations. But two, you know what you're doing. Like that's uh, it, it not just even if you don't know what you're doing, it's your responsibility to know. And th- those laws aren't there like, you know, Illinois is trying to make money on you. You're not wearing your seatbelt. They're there because, you know, this is conservation. We're trying to keep those species there. Right. I understand things happen. I'm sure it's not it's not because he's a bad guy or any of that stuff. But if, if you're going to go out and you're going to try and catch your limit, it's your job to keep track of your limit. It's your job to do that. And I remember going to like the Desplaines River when we were kids, people sitting on five-gallon buckets. No matter what they caught, it could have been a shoe. It was going in the bucket. It could have been a minnow. It was going in the bucket. Yeah, there's still it's still like that. We still have a lot of problems with people keeping. That's why all the forest preserve ponds that are stocked and they're all fished out because nobody practices catch and release. And all of my deep dives that I've done into the news have revealed a lot of you know little citation stories where DNR pulls up and they see like five people dumping a bucket out. But anyway, to me that is unethical to take more fish on a daily limit just because you're having a good day. That I I do think that's unethical. What right. else you got? So this is one, this is a personal thing for me, and I'm wondering if you picked up on it or not, but shooting last light. Damn, that was one of mine. So let me explain myself. So I only go till sunset. I know the law says you can go 30 minutes after sunset, and I put myself in this situation. It's not my woods, first of all. I don't know these woods like the back of my hand like I would if it was my own property. So sunset hits, and you can go 30 minutes after. Well, it's November now. 30 minutes after is a lot darker than it was in the beginning of the season. It gets dark faster. So you could shoot 30 minutes after. So let's say it was 4.30 was the sunset yesterday. You could shoot a deer till 5 o'clock. That's dark. Like it was 5 o'clock and it was pretty dark out there. It was definitely a headlight. It was just it was borderline headlight worthy. So I only go till sunset. And that's because I don't want the responsibility of shooting a deer, it running off into the woods, and now it is pitch black. I can't find this thing. I'm in the middle of woods that I don't know. And I might waste this deer. I might waste it because I cannot find it. And the other funky thing is that when you're walking back with a headlight, you get lost just simply because nothing looks the same. Because number one, it's dark. And number two, you're so laser focused on just what's in front of you that you get lost. Yeah, you lose your landmarks of different trees you're looking at and uh, off in the distance and things that you use to keep direction. So imagine looking imagine looking through, especially where we were, look at how when you get into the woods in those sections, look at how thick it is. Look at how thick. Can you imagine trying to walk oh. through there? And find it. So I put a rule at sunset is the last time. So if it was 4.30, about 4.29 is the last time I'm going to pull the trigger. That gives me 30 minutes of decent light to keep an eye out. Oh, the other thing I was going to say is if you do shoot last light, you might not see the direction they take off. Right. You shoot, it was there, it's gone now, and you're like, did it go left? Did it go straight? Did it? Which way did it go? You can't keep an eye on it. So my angle on that same scenario that I was going to use was last light, I, I mean, if you have a bow sight like mine, no magnifier. It's actually pretty hard to see stuff, you know, at what can still be considered last light or first light or whatever. Uh, yeah, first light this morning, it was dark. I it would was not, dark. It was, legally, I could have shot. I wouldn't have ethically. It was a dark, cloudy day. It was a dark, cloudy day, and I really didn't have good light until about, I'd say, sunrise. I didn't have decent light. So, as we all know, you know, darkness plays tricks on your eyes. Big time darkness plays tricks on your eyes. So, if you, you know you see a buck, but then you put your sight up. And it, it don't quite look the same. So are you just going to pull the trigger or are you going to wait for a more ethical shot? In my opinion, that's wrong because no, no matter what the time is physically, like, you know, the law, 30 minutes, you know, 637, okay, today's 607, I'm going to shoot at 607 regardless. It's can you see the deer or not? And if it, if it falls, you 
Before that, I'm probably not going to do it. I, I, I understand. Like for me, I just I'm packing my things at, at sunset because I'm not going to do anything but walk back now. It's also nice to only walk one direction with a headlight. You know, at, at the end of the day, you're tired, and unless you got a really long walk, I really don't like to shoot past sunset because I don't want to. I don't want to waste things what made me think of that scenario this happened today but what made me think of that scenario was uh i ran into a guy i i do this thing where after i hunt i kind of when i'm walking around with my bow i kind of feel like hey is this thing going to be accurate did i bump something did i you know i'm sure you get those feelings don't you Mm -hmm. and this guy told me he said oh i shot a i shot a buck last night uh right before dark and you know we couldn't find it took four hours but i know i hit him in the shoulder and it's like and i'm not criticizing this guy you know good for him for shooting his buck you know but uh, if would the shot have been better? Had it been, you know, within a reasonable light setting. Let's say you had a perfect you know I mean? shot. He didn't find it because he can't see what direction it. it's going. You, you might as well just miss your shot then. You know, it, it's a waste. It's a waste to shoot and not be able to see what you're doing. But I mean, when it's this cold outside, there's always the argument where you can just come back tomorrow. Sure. You know? Sure. Are you, but sure. once again, are you sure. going to get flat tire on the way back? Is your car not going to start? Is you're out there now. Find it now. You're out there now. Yeah, is the girlfriend real mad at you for not being home so late? There's last all night, kinds of know? things, and There's that's why it's like you got to be responsible. That's why I'd much rather shoot one in the morning because then you got all yeah, and you know more confidence to begin with too. I feel like morning, you know, now that we've been doing this for a little bit, I feel like morning's the time. I agree. I like I like first light, but go ahead. You got another one? That was my one, the one that you just said. You want me to go again? Yeah, shooting through obstructions is what I have written down here. So, and let me explain why I came up with that one. So I've been ground blinding a lot. And I've been setting up these uh, spots where I got to shoot through tall grass. And it's not thick, but it's there. But it's there. And there's and a straight there's line, a straight that, line that, that you're going to have to shoot through grass probably and probably hit something. But I'm hoping the kinetic, the kinetic energy, energy would carry through it because it's like dead grass. It's not like it's a stick. So shooting so through obstructions is what I had, and it's because I because of the ground blind. And even in the tree stand, there were sections where it was like you had to shoot through grass to get down to a deer. Another twig hanging off a tree. Are you going to shoot through a tree that's stupid? A stick's different. A stick's different. Are you going to shoot through a tree that's stupid? You shouldn't be shooting through trees. I'm talking about just tall grass prairies. I mean, even even trees. You shouldn't shoot through To me, there's a couple variables to this one. It's probably not going to make much of a difference. If you have practiced, and there are people that do this, if you have practiced shooting through tall grass just to test your broadheads and you and you feel confident, that's great. Do it. Uh, if you're not somebody who's practiced, you know, maybe maybe try and figure out a better option. But then the other thing too, how far away is the grass from the deer? Because that plays a huge factor. If it if the grass is right in front of you, can't do it because your arrow is going to be altered so much in just the I see beginning. That, yeah. Honestly, but if it's right in front of the, the situations deer, I was in, everything. I was shooting through grass if a deer popped up. I already I made up my mind that this is the way it's going to be because this is the way you got to be out here. Because there's no trees. I want to hunt this spot and there's not a tree to put a stand in. It's all different. It's all like, different. Would the, if, if the, would the grass start like halfway nice, through it's all the flight of the I made up my mind that, that I'm just going to shoot though. Like, uh, I, Yeah, I wouldn't shoot through actual wood. These are, these are long skinny things that would the wind blows down like nothing mats down like nothing so i figured a sharp broadhead on the end will probably make it through and it's not real thick i mean in in a 30 yard shot now the one thing too if you're shooting five to eight strands of grass i mean in a 30 yard shot you're looking at a total of five to eight strands of grass yeah there are broadheads like mechanicals that would probably get set off going through that grass yeah 
But these are all things that you got to test. And so to me, this comes back to an ethical, like if you tested it and you've proved that you can do it or you feel more confident that you can do it, then do it. But if you don't know what you're getting yourself into, I mean, don't keep do going. So this happened to be the other day go, go and it was ahead, more on the way out, but it got me thinking going? about it. I was leaving so and it was another skunk day. day. Or no, no, that was the day that the buck got away from me. Never mind. That was that day. I'm driving away and another buck walks right in front of the car and I found a game trail. Let's say, obviously I couldn't do anything. It was last light. Let's say that was, that was early in the morning. Is it ethical to park your car and go back to that deer? Let's say that was early in the morning. Is it ethical to park your car and go back to that deer? So number one, I don't think it'd be legal where you were going. No, it was, you need a it was the same. Tag. It was ten. It was, it was fifty yards. Uh, in the from broader where we scenario saw, for everyone today. Walking into a walking into a field, we were allowed to hunt. You know, I would say no because you put your time in out there. You weren't hunting from your car. Yeah, it's almost hunting from your car. It's just like all these fly-in trips where you got to wait twenty-four hours before you can go hunting because they want exactly that. You you fly around. There's a herd. I go over there. I shoot it, and it's kind of the same thing. I mean, I don't know. I really, that's a tricky one, but you saw it from your car, but you still got to do the legwork to get back. So is it, it's a short, you know, in that very specific scenario, I would say no, because you, you weren't driving around looking for deer. You know what I mean? And of course somebody can argue that if they pull up and just shoot one on the side of the road. Oh, right? I was but tempted to go out and chase this thing back into the field. Trust me. I was very, that was one of those days, you know, I was very tempted to grab that bow in my Crocs that I drive home in and go running out in that field. In, in that scenario, I don't think anybody would convict you of driving 50 yards and, you know, using your vehicle to find you. You were, you could throw a baseball to where you parked, you know? I want to, I want to say it's a little unethical, but I really don't, I don't feel that way. I don't feel it's cause I still got to make it out and not just that, but you know how quick deer move by the time I park and get all my stuff together, that thing's 400 yards away from where I saw it in any direction. He could have crossed back over the road. I'm wasting my time. Now on the broader spectrum, like we talked about with vehicles, like, yeah, unethical as, as heck. If you see one, you pull off, well, you still got to stock it. Right. But you located it with your car. You were driving. Right. You know, you were probably not even over 15 miles an hour yet, you know? Yeah, if you got another one, go for it because you kind of tapped my well dry. Sitting in someone else's tree stand. And so I thought of this, and because the one public ground, this guy set up a million tree stands. The law is you label them with your name and all that. This guy has nothing. So I'm literally thinking about sitting in this guy's tree stand, to be honest with you. I'm literally thinking about walking in there with mine in case he's there. What do you think? What? Unlabeled? Uh, I'm not saying I would go steal, steal it. it. I would never steal it. But that guy reserved the right, tree for not himself. Labeled. And he has a bunch of these on public ground. Uh, the one guy told us this guy's got 23 of them on public ground. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's in an area where not a whole lot of people are going to go. To me, my first thought is like, yeah, man, that's not good. You know, like that's kind of difficult. But let's say, okay, so we're thinking of this specific area. But I'm talking about in general. You're walking and you're like, hey, this guy's got a pretty good spot. Oh, he's got a pretty good spot. Was it legally set? He's not here. Legally set. I'll be honest with you. I'm hunting it. I'll be honest with you. If I walk up on somebody's tree stand and on public ground, I'm not trespassing. It's not labeled. I'm going to use your tree stand. If it's not labeled. If I want to, I'm going to use it. probably going to use it. I mean, what do you think? Is that? I, I, I know. I mean, what do you think? Is that? I, I, I know it's a little dishonest. If it is labeled, work and if it's labeled, he's following all the rules. But if it's labeled, he's following all the rules. But if he's not following the rules, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do this like code of ethics with this guy. I'm gonna use your tree stand. Hey, thanks, bud, for spending the money and setting. It up in fact, we did talk to somebody and they said it was all right. Just you know, I I feel like the people that hunt that area specifically want to get to know you. 
because if you do sit in their tree stands, they want to know who they're dealing with. Yeah, so sit, uh, sit using somebody else's tree stand. I think uh, I think that's pretty good. On the flip side of that, like the place we were hunting today, there ain't a whole lot of good trees. So if somebody just went and reserved all of them, oh, I'm yeah, I'm definitely hunting your tree stand. <laughs> yeah, then hey man, you're you know. Speaking of which, did you ever find that one we were looking for? Dan went looking for last night. You went looking for today. Did you ever find that tree on that point? I did. Yeah, I did. Okay, cool. Now, the DNR told you about that tree, right? Yeah. Yeah, that falls right into that unethical situation because what you're aiming at ain't part of the map. Well, that's what we'd have to ask him. You know, he's the one that recommended it. He said you got a great shot over uh, that pipeline. Now, our stand specifically might be stretching it in terms of thickness. Oh, okay. But there was a there was a lane carved out and everything, so I know exactly which one he was talking about. All right, so moving forward, you got another one you want me to go? Uh, go for it. All right, so... We all know in different areas, you got like the local yokel professional that knows the area, right? Yeah. Oh, you just take it right by the stump there. Yeah. But if you're like me, you're pretty secretive about your spots. You do vague things to help people out because I, I am interested in helping. Like if, if it's a new muskie fisherman that, you know, father, son, he's trying to get this kid tied into a muskie, I'll help him. I'm not going to give you all my facts. I'm not going to give you my hard-earned standing in the rain and white cap facts. Well, good. Now I'm just going to have kids so I can go out there and get, you know. But I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll start pointing you in the right direction. So... This is saying, I'm saying, okay, so the other thing too, flip side of that is, you know, somebody hunts, you know, this guy hunts his property. Uh, he's been hunting his whole life, whatever. Okay. So you got that guy. He's successful. What I have written down here is so following hunter or fisherman to their spots to find out what they're doing. I think that's, that's cheating, man. You know, it's cheating. It's definitely cheating. It's definitely not right. I have done it. So when we first started going to the triple flowage, I followed the owner's brother around. Uh, I stayed about 500 yards from him and saw what he was doing binoculars he looked right at me might have just been looking in that direction but i i did i was a kid i was like 15 years old you know? <laughs> do you remember that yeah and i actually read the owner's book and he talks about a scenario where he wears different colored hats out he's got a he's got a bin full of different colored hats why is that explain that uh because he knows people are going to follow him out so once he turns a bend he puts a different hat on no kidding yeah so they're like wait that that guy's got an orange hat on. I wasn't following him, you know? It's funny because I don't look at the person. I look at the boat. I, I always look at the boat. Oh, it's a mid-90s Merc 25 on a, on a 16 and a half foot low. 1,200 yards away, though, they kind of all start looking. Not a Lund. Not a Lund, baby. Yeah. Not a Lund. Not a Lund, baby. So, yeah, no, Lund, if I you're listening, Jim's a huge. He will promote your product oh. up and down. There's nothing like that. There's nothing as beautiful. There's nothing like a, There's nothing as beautiful built as a Lund boat. There's just nothing. It, they look like they're doing a Lumacraft. If you're still selling your 1979 model, um, I will advocate for that. Yeah, Pat's got one. Anyway, going back to following. Anyway, going back to following people to their spots, I've done it. It's cheating. It's cheating. You figure out the hard work just like this guy did. Number one, I think it's cheating because. He was there first. Uh, On that specific day, he was there first. So when you're looking at these guys setting up, try and pick up on things. Oh, this guy used. Um, I mean, everybody wants to take information from each other. You know, in in a not in not a drastic like I'm I'm just trying to steal all your stuff kind of way. You know, you're just like you know you, you want to take and you want to cherry pick little facts from people and kind of put them all together. That's what I do. So when I'm walking down the public dock at that. I always look into boats to see what people are throwing. Oh, there's, there's a globe. There's a bulldog. There's a X, you know. And You're a boat snooper. So I am a boat snooper. I, I am a snooper. I don't, I honestly don't uh, follow people. But when you're fishing these common spots, you get up there and you're fishing these big, big bars. You can't help but tell that this guy's throwing a tallywhacker. You know, now that you say that, I was out on the boat this year with uh, binoculars. 
musky fishing. And I'm just looking around having fun. I'm not trying to steal anything. But it's like if these guys saw me looking at them, they're going to be like, man, he's, you know, he put a different lure on. He's trying to figure out what we're using, you know? I've done it. I was a kid. I haven't done it since I was a kid. But I thought that was an interesting one. I would be honored if I was out fishing and some kid was following me around. I honestly would be honored. It wouldn't bother me. You'd be flattered. If yeah, if if some kid came up and was following me, I probably would be like, "Dude, are you following me?" Here, I'll tell you what. Let's just fish together. Let's talk about this, you know, because I, I I do like to see people successful. But if you're just going, if you're just taking a shortcut, you're not going to do any of the work. Uh, I'm not going to give you any of the tips. But when you see father son, I just remember being there with dad, and we're trying to tie into one of these things. It's like we'll take any advice we can get. We'll take any advice we can get. And the vast majority of people we run into, they're like, "No, you got to do thirty years worth of work to get where I'm at." You yeah. Know? No, I'm willing to help. Don't don't cheat me though. I don't want to be cheated. I mean, don't give your life story away, and you know, and not get paid for it. But at I'm the, same the same time, way. Don't work. leave them high and dry. I'm at the same way with work. To get as good as I am today, I had to stand a lot. Of, I had to do a lot of days out in the rain by myself with cold hands and cold feet, and you're wet. To learn the trick that I'm going to teach this new guy in 10 seconds. Yeah, I kind of felt that way too. At the same time, your company's like, no, you should tell him because that'll save us time and money. But I, I, it's just so hard to. It's just so hard for me to give away hard-earned things. Now, if a guy, if I like you, definitely, everything's free. You know, everything's free. But if you're just a guy that only comes up to me when you need something, chances are I'm going to give you a hard time about it. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, you're good at people giving people a hard time. I'm just kind of awkward, and I'm going to be like, no, go away. You know? No, I'm good at it. I'm good at it. I'll say my mind. Anyway, we're getting off. You want you you got another one? Or you want me to go? I got um, two more. Go for it. Moving fish to stock your local pond. So you're, you're at the Kankakee River, you're in, let's say even northern Wisconsin, okay? And you're like, man, it would be great to have a big northern pike in my lake. I'd like to start stocking my lake. So moving fish to stock your pond. So you go, to, you go to great big public waters, you catch fish, you throw them in a cooler, aerated, and then you release them in your pond. Yeah, to me that's unethical. It's not natural. It's, I'm not going to say unethical, but it's dangerous. And I got this idea from reading that Wisconsin article. Because they're saying that goes back to dipping your boat in two different bodies of water without cleaning it off. But it's your own body of water? So let's say you were, let's say, yeah, it's your own body. Let's say you had one of these little farm ponds in your yard, 10 acres. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, you were saying a local pond, my bad. Well, like, let's say it was your neighborhood pond. Let's say you live in one of these subdivisions everyone fishes at. And you're like, man, I want better fish in here. So you go up to the Displains River and you catch a bunch and then you bring it back to, you know, wherever you live and then throw them in there. What if you caught one of these largemouth bass that are diseased? Now you just diseased your pond. Yeah. You just you just opened it up to a, a bunch more disease. And especially people that would be eating fish from that pond, you're putting them at a risk too. So stocking stocking is expensive, but it's safer. Everything's a little more regulated. And so but taking fish from one body of water to the next is not a good I understand migrations. Migrations can also do that. And chances are if you take a bike from, you know, a bigger lake that's clean. And you throw it in this little pond, it ain't going to last very long because it's just not used to that water. It could last, though. It could last with all these little bluegill around. It could, it could do pretty well. But you, the biggest thing is you need depth. Depth more than acreage is important. And then, or, or you take a carp from wherever. You know, somebody who doesn't know what kind of carp that is, they take it and they toss it in their pond, and all of a sudden it's killing the whole food supply for all of the other smaller fish that are used to living there. And in my mind, nature has a way of making things right, right? Those fish got there from being close in proximity that, you know, so. 
I definitely don't see moving fish from a natural fish from a body of water to stock your pond. I think you're playing. I think you're playing God too much at that point. Oh and, yeah. And you need. You, it's tempting. It's very tempting. In high school, we used to do. Remember the little pond we used to fish in that kid's backyard? We thought about doing that, releasing pike in there. We ended up not. It's just kids talking, you know. But I think you're. I think you're playing with too much fire at that point. And, you know, the government does this kind of stuff. They bring in one thing to try and take care of another thing. All of a sudden, we've got that thing problem now. So well, yeah, now but look at that. Also, that also created one of the largest fisheries in the America, which is the Great Lakes uh, coho. They brought those in to eat those. Uh, I can never remember the name of those fish. You know that? I can never. They were those little gray things that were washing up on the beach. It'll hit me 10 minutes after we're done recording, too. All right, so I got one more. Go for it. Taking pictures of fish causing mishandling. And so what I mean uh, specifically when it comes back to our musky fishing, it's 80-degree water. It's 78-degree water. And you just finally caught your musky. It's your first musky. You want to get pictures of it. I understand that. It's important. But you pull it out, and you can't get the hook out, and you're playing with it in a boat. You might kill this fish after about 70, what is it, 72 degrees or so. You might kill this fish. And this is true for trout all over the place. This is true for anything that comes out of the water. When it comes to taking, I, I, I'm all about taking pictures, especially when you get something like a muskie, especially when it comes to something like you just worked days and days and cast and, you know, lots of work. And so I understand you're going to pull this thing out of the water and take a picture. I'm not saying don't do that. A lot of, a lot of naturalist experts will say, you can't do that, you know. But what I can say to combat all your problems is get a big old net, leave them in the net, do your unhooking, do your relaxing, pull them out with a camera ready, and then put them back in the water. So I went sturgeon fishing in Canada, and you couldn't even take those things out of the water. You know, we're taking a 300-pound sturgeon off of the hook, and you can't even take it out of the water. Yeah, a lot of there's species like that that are illegal to do that. And they don't even use barbed hooks. Like, their rules are, you know, pretty off the hook. But we didn't seem to have a problem, though, with the barbed hook thing. But there's a lot of people complaining with the Instagrammers that do the old, uh, what do they call that, the tail flip, the tail raise, you know, when they hold it with the tail up and it's like the fish, so the oh, nose yeah. is in the lens and the tail's in the back. Oh, I can't, I mean, I'm doing terrible today. To me, that goes back to fishing for a business. I don't know what term you're talking about, but um, to me, because you're, you're fishing to enhance your Facebook page, right? So that's more of a business. So, but what these people are doing is they're keeping them out of the water till they have the perfect picture. There's a lot of fish dying because of Instagram. There's a lot of everything dying because of Instagram. But they, they, they hire a guide, they get this picture, and they, they, oh, no, I didn't like that. So then, you know what, let's take this thing and we'll go up on shore. Oh, you know what, we'll take, I'll go in the back, of the, I'll go in the front of the boat. And you're moving around the whole time. This thing, imagine sprinting, okay? Imagine sprinting a half mile, and somebody says, hold your breath. Hold your breath for a minute. That's what you're doing to a fish after a fight. That's why, if you can, you want to net them. If it's, it was a long, hard fight, you want to net them. You want to let them catch their breath just like you would. If you sprinted, you'd want to be able to catch your breath. Yeah, and I'm not trying to toot your horn here, but you are like the most respectful catch and release guy like ever. Like they're in, they're out, back to fishing. That, they're supposed to be in the water. They live there. So I understand pictures. I definitely – but if you notice, like I don't, have a, I don't have an Instagram loaded with pictures. It's because, well, one, I'm always fishing by myself. And two, because I don't really have, I don't really take the time to do it. I pull them out, maybe get a quick one real quick, just on my thumb, and I dip them back in. But I bet you, I, I bet you, I take a photograph of one third of the fish I catch. I read a really nasty story. Guy shot a, I think it was a whitetail somewhere out west, just to get a grip and grin. Then he walked out. Didn't bring the deer. Yep, yep, and that and that happens. They just want the picture. They so the insanely wrong. Anyway, that's all I have for my list. If you got something else, let's hear it. 
Um, yeah, you kind of used, I think, two of mine. I did some thinking about it. Um, there was one more thing. It kind of goes along with this fair chase. We're going to talk about it after the podcast. I just kind of want to give a teaser in case it does happen. And I was thinking about doing fair chase uh, etiquette. Oh, etiquette, dude. You got to have it. Yeah. Uh, you know, n- not even fair chase etiquette. We should just do an etiquette episode. Well, we could. Well, it doesn't, okay, it doesn't have to be. This could be the third part of the uh, fair chase and then be done. But there's there's so much etiquette that's it's all understood by guys that do this, but not by people that don't. Right. And there's uh there's boat launch. Think about boat launch etiquette. Oh man, we can we could write a we could write a not or like a 500 page book on boat launch etiquette. You talked about how you walked up on a guy in a tree stand today. Okay, there's all there's just all kinds of etiquette. So I was thinking about maybe next week or the week after we'll do an etiquette episode. What do you think? Yeah. Oh, and uh, one other thing to add to that, just to give a little teaser on what I'm going to talk about in etiquette. Yesterday. There was a group of dudes talking. I about oh yeah, I, I, there was actually. I am not kidding. There was a point I almost left the the ground blind to go find those guys. I was so enraged by this. I almost left the tree the ground blind to go find them. But imagine, you know, you're 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 pet, and you get up in your tree stand, and you get, you know you got your you got your little booties on, um, everything's feeling great, the wind's just right, and then you hear woohoo, and uh, then you're like whoa, dude, you know, and you're hearing this like if you heard it, you were. 300 yards away from me, but if you heard it, that means you heard it from at least 500 yards away. I, I'm telling you, my face was turning beet red. I was getting so upset. I almost went and tracked these guys down. We are going to have words out there in the middle of the field. I was getting that upset about it. It's like you – oh, I just want to go off Like now. We put so much time and we put so much effort to just get out here. And you're going to come out here hooting and hollering. And not, it wasn't like a quick one. They were excited they shot a deer. I get that. Some people are just like that. They're very vocal with excitement. I'm the exact opposite. I kind of go in lockdown mode when I get excited. It was a good 45 minutes later that they kind of, um, I, I heard they were like, hey, have a good night, dude. Yeah, it was it was every bit of uh, a 40-minute ordeal of them hooting and hollering. And they were, like, they were, like you said, yard, hundreds of yards away, and I could still hear them. It's like, who's talking that loudly to each other? Oh, I wanted to find them. Oh, man, I almost. And then at first I was thinking, what if they're talking to Pat? What if Pat said something? I was wondering if you started saying something to him. And then they marched over to you. I'm thinking, oh, I got to go back up Pat. Well, my whole thing was, is like, yeah, these guys are being real buttholes, but I got to get down from my tree now. You know, I got a lot of work coming up here. When you get set, sometimes it's like, if I drop my bow right now, I might knock it down, you know? I know. I know that feeling of just like this settling comfort. You're here. You're finally, you got your clothes on. You're you're comfortable. And yeah, I know what you mean. And when it comes to the tree stand, you, you've kind of escaped the first half of the danger when you get up into the tree. You know what I mean? The, the majority of the danger, in fact. And you, you know, you're done. In fact, I have lassoed my bow twice now. One time I dropped it. Yeah, you do that a couple of times. Uh, the one time I just, in the middle of the night, I didn't loop the hook through the regular loop. And I just pulled up my bowstring by itself, looped on itself. But anywho, yeah, that's all we got for this week. Thank you for listening to the Whistle Mission Outdoors podcast. And remember, if you can hear this podcast, that means you can be on it. Uh, email us at uh, whistlemissionpodcast at gmail.com. That's whistlemissionpodcast at gmail.com. And please send us anything when it comes to uh, fair chase with etiquette. Or not etiquette. Here we go. Look at that. I'm already asking for something that doesn't exist yet. When it comes to equipment, tactics, and situations. Uh, we got one with trail cams. We might go back into that. If we get a couple more, we might do a little edit. We might do uh, situational again if we can come up with some different situations, which I'm sure there's oop, there's a, there's my uh, ringtone. When it comes to situational, if you have uh, 
if you have more situations, we, we just barely scratched the surface. I understand that. There's a million things we could talk about. But we're already recording this. I think we're we're about an hour into it. You know, that's without our two segments. We've been getting some really solid feedback from some of our listeners. I'm not going to out them, but thank you for your contribution and uh, for trying to make us better. We want to hear more of it. We want to hear what you have to say. We, we want to hear how we can better the podcast to then better inform you or even make more people listen. And remember the muskie tournament next year. We're still doing that. Uh, if you want to be part of a muskie tournament, fly fishing tournament, you have to follow me on Instagram and message me with something that says something about the muskie tournament. Then you'll be in the running. The drift boat will be powered by two 6.3 horse engines on my arms. Pat will be the chef and this boat steerer. Right, you're going to be the chef? Yeah. And the steer. Pat's or good. The, the rower. I was, I was complimenting my arms. Pat makes a mean campfire meal, so I'm looking forward to this. Anyway, we're rambling, so we're going to wrap this up. Thank you for listening, and uh, next week, possibly etiquette we're going to talk about. Yeah, I like that. Have a good one, guys. Have a good week.